Thanks, Kate and Marilyn. Good morning, everyone. Uh, for our guests, uh, I'm Anton, I'm Senior Minister here, and uh, last year... I was at a school function at my daughter's school and we were talking, I was talking with some of the other, other dads, many of whom work in, you know, finance or corporate insurance or things like that. And, uh, last year, of course, we were coming out of COVID life and so we got talking about international travel resuming again. And, uh, one of the dads, uh, talked about some of the perks that you get when you're flying, particularly flying with, with work and entry into the airport lounges was one of those perks. I don't know, have you, have you ever entered into one of those special hallowed uh, places at the airport? Uh, I've never been in one. Uh, I don't tend to fly for my work all that much. Um, <laughs> but uh, some of the dads obviously had been, and I'm sure some of you have. Uh, the one that they mentioned, though, the big one that they mentioned, was the Qantas International First Lounge. That's kind of the premium. It looks pretty good, doesn't it? And uh, one of the dads said, well, if you can get into there, then you know that you've made it. You know, that was kind of, said it a bit tongue-in-cheek, but a bit not Uh, tongue-in-cheek. The places that we enter are an indication of our importance in some way. Uh, The closest thing I came to something like that was a number of years ago, I was at the uh, Formula One Grand Prix obviously, if you know me, and um, because I bought a four-day pass, not just a one-day pass, but a four-day pass, I got to, uh, I got entry to walk uh, alongside the pit lane on one of the mornings, and so that's what it looked like there, got to walk in and see, you know, look through the garages and what was all that's going on. Uh, you can see the people over on the left behind the rope, uh, they didn't have access, but I did, so I got to go in... <laughs> And don't you feel important when you have special entry somewhere? Uh, well, whether it's, uh, you know, at the Grand Prix or backstage at a concert or uh, anything like that, then entry into, you know, entry into somewhere special, like the member stand at the SCG or, or, uh, or that friend that you have who lives on the water and you get entry through their security gate into their glorious house, uh, the places you may enter can say a lot about you, your status, your connections, who you know, how much you have paid. But today in God's Word, we're looking at entry into somewhere even better than the Qantas Lounge. We're dealing with entry into the kingdom of God. And as we've seen in Mark's Gospel, the way of the kingdom of God is not always the same as the way of this world. So a big question for today is, what does it take to enter the kingdom of God? Because if you are seeking God, if you want to experience his rule and his reign over you from the one who made you, if you long for the blessing that God wants to give you, then you want to know the answer to that question. What does it take to enter the kingdom of God? We'll grab your Bible again, open up to Mark chapter 10, and let's see what God says. Let me find the right page, there we are. Well, we're continuing on in our series of Jesus, the Servant King, and in our uh, in our little episode here, starting at verse 13, we see Jesus, and people are bringing children to him. 
You know, it's as if Jesus was standing on the other side of those doors and all the children were filing out to him, uh, bringing, bringing babies and toddlers and three-nagers and young kids. All, they all, all the parents wanted Jesus to bless their kids. But then there's the disciples saying, no, 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 don't bring your kids to Jesus. You wouldn't see them in a Qantas lounge. Don't bother Jesus with them. He's got more important people to mingle with or something like that. See Jesus' reaction? He was indignant. He was really annoyed at the disciples for saying that. Have a look at verse 14. He said to them, said to the disciples, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. What a statement from Jesus. Jesus was saying, these are my people. The kingdom of God is for them and for people like them. Of course, let them come up and see the king, for theirs is the kingdom. Well, Jesus actually said in verse 15, have a look, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So entry into the kingdom of God is not about how many frequent flyer points you have. It's not about which ticket you've purchased. It's about being like a little child. Not in every way. Not in terms of having lots of energy all the time or being poor at emotional regulation or frequently using toilet talk. That's not, you know, not every aspect of a child. Have a look at the passage. It says, the children receive the kingdom of God. That's one of the traits of children. They receive things. You know, us adults, we can, we can earn things, we can buy things, we can own things. Children receive things. They're completely dependent on other people to survive. Food and clothing, affection, attention. It's all from other people. There's nothing in them that earns them or qualifies them into the kingdom. It's just that they are helplessly dependent. They have helpless dependence. So what does it take to enter the kingdom of God? Well, it's helpless dependence on God. We'll come back to that in a little bit, but looking at how Jesus, what Jesus says about children here, uh, let me just pause and reflect on some of what the implications are. Uh, firstly, we see Jesus loves children. Now, that's probably not a controversial thing to say today, but back then it certainly was. Children had zero status in the ancient world. The disciples demonstrate that, don't they? But Jesus affirms the value of children, letting them come to him and blessing them. But Jesus also affirms the full spirituality of children, them as believers, them with faith. Jesus is saying the faith that the children have now, now as a, even as their children, that's the kind of faith that grants you entry into the kingdom. It's fully dependent faith. So it isn't like, well, there's children, but they only really become Christian when they are old enough to make a decision for themselves. That's not how Jesus treats them. Jesus blesses them as children. 
with their childlike faith, not just when they're old enough. And of course, they've got plenty to grow and learn and mature in their faith. But Jesus blesses them as children. And that's partly why we wanted to combine our morning services and particularly our two Cornerstone and Junior Fresh programs so that the children of all saints have the opportunity, the best possible environment to express their faith in Christ and grow in that faith. And that's why we baptise children of believing families in this Anglican church. Because a child may still be a Christian with their training wheels on, they may be growing into faith, but they are still Christian as they are raised up in the instruction of the Lord. That's also why uh, from time to time they take part in the Lord's Supper at this church because we recognise that they are part of God's, uh, part of the body of Christ and receive all the full benefits of being the body of Christ which the Lord's Supper represents. Now this has been a more recent change in the Anglican Church in Sydney, it was around the, the late 90s. It used to be that children only had Lord's Supper after confirmation uh, but now we see more, we recognise their place in the kingdom, even as children. And so children, as they're raised up in the Lord, can have genuine faith in the Lord Jesus and receive his blessing and entry into the kingdom, even as they are learning who Jesus is and what this all means for them. Uh, also, though, a quick word to uh, to seniors and for the rest of us who will be, God willing, seniors one day. I've heard that the latter end of life is described as a second childhood. Have you heard that before? Uh, where you grow in your dependence on others for your needs. Where you can't do all the things that you used to for yourself as before. Of course, this brings along a lot of frustration but you can rejoice that knowing that you are growing in dependence, growing in childlike dependence, you can grow in your faith in Jesus. And the rest of us can look to you as we can look to children, as models of dependence, the dependence that we all need to receive the kingdom. Let's go back to what Jesus was saying about the kingdom itself. Children are the model for you and I as we seek to enter the kingdom, having helpless dependence on God. What's that verse in Rock of Ages? Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress, helpless look to you for grace. How generous is Jesus that he gives entry into the kingdom for those who are completely dependent. But the second part of our episode from the Bible today is quite different. That starts at verse 17. Have a look. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him. So from children coming up to Jesus, a man comes running to see Jesus. It's rare for a man to run back then, so he's certainly very keen to see Jesus and ask him his question. 
goes on, it says, he fell on his knees uh, before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Nearly got it within the speech bubble. Close. (laughs) Notice what language he uses here. He firstly says, what must I do? What must I do? Actually, that's the question for every other religion that it asks. What must I do to enter salvation? It's also the question for every secular person as well. What must I do to be accepted into this world? Or what must I do to live up to my own expectations? Or or to be good enough? His focus is on himself and his action. And then he uses the word inherit. So he's thinking, you know, possessions, money, this is something I'm going to uh, to gain. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus replies, verse 19, You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. So this man has something. He has something. He has something that he has done that he thinks counts him worthy of the kingdom. He has law obedience. The law, obedience to the law of God. All his adult life, he has been obedient to these commands. Look at all the frequent obedience points I've earned. Surely that counts into entry into heaven. But look at verse 21 closely, will you? It's a very important verse. Have a look. Jesus looked at him and loved him. What a detail Mark includes. Firstly, that he looks at him. Then it says he loves him. What Jesus says next, he's not being a jerk. No, he was loving him. And so he didn't just say something nice to placate the man. Nice things are not always a loving thing to say when there's a problem. You know, people who tell you hard things, they might be the ones who love you most. And Jesus could see there was something missing for this man. He wasn't going to enter the kingdom. And so Jesus says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. So see the two instructions? Sell everything, follow Jesus. Why those two things? Well, it's, those are the things that were needed for him to have childlike faith, for him to be helplessly dependent on God. Because then we're told that this man had great wealth. And so he had obedience And he had great wealth. But he turns out to be the opposite of the little children. What he lacked was dependence on God. Maybe he lacked fulfilling the earlier commandments directed towards God. And so for this man, unless he sold everything and gave it away, 
he would never give over everything to God. Jesus knew that's what he needed. And so he would not enter the kingdom. But he wasn't just to be generous. He wasn't just to help the poor as if that would get him into the kingdom. He had to follow Jesus. And so if you're going to enter the kingdom, you're going to need to follow the king. Because maybe some of you like the idea of being Christian, like the thought of going to heaven, but may have little thought for Jesus, knowing him, loving him, working out how to follow him. But at this instruction to give away his wealth and follow Jesus, the man's face fell and he went away sad. Why did he? Uh, here's a quote from Kenneth Bailey, who's uh, very familiar with uh, this ancient context. He says, The rich man comes to the painful awareness that he cannot earn his way into God's graces. People of wealth are often proud of their own achievements. They accept no favours, ask for no special consideration, and with exceptional effort achieve wealth but status in God's present cannot be earned. It can only be received with gratitude. The self-confidence of the self-made person crashes and dissolves like a mighty wave on a sandy shore when eternal life is at issue. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, I'm sorry, you can't do anything. In the rest, all other spheres of of your life, you can do lots of things to get what you want. But there is nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. No great act of philanthropy will, will do it. There's no deal that you can make. There's no law to keep. You can do nothing. And so, verse 23, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And that should be a terrifying statement for you and me. Because when we think of the rich, we think of those people. But no, we are rich. We may not all live in mansions. Some of us are richer than others. But we are some of the richest people who have ever lived through all history. So, for example, if you're on the minimum wage only in Australia... You are richer than 80% of the world, just on minimum wage. If you have the average income, if you have an average income for Australians, you're in the top 2% of wealth in this world. And so I think Jesus is uh, referring to us here. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God You think it's hard to get into the Qantas lounge. Entry to the kingdom of God is impossible. It's impossible. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's hard enough to get thread through the eye of a needle, let alone a camel, the biggest animal in Palestine. 
is literally impossible. There is no way for you to enter the kingdom. Did you hear that from Jesus? There's no way for you to enter the kingdom. You cannot do it. So when it comes to the kingdom, make sure you don't look down on others because you are not better at getting into the kingdom as they are than they. Nor should you envy others, maybe envy those who are richer than you because they are no better off in getting into the kingdom than you. And if you're amazed or perplexed by what Jesus is saying, so are the disciples. In verse 26, they said to each other, who can be saved? Who can be saved? Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, what is impossible with man? Sorry, he said, let me read it. With man, this is impossible. If it's us, it's impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. The rich man was trying to do the impossible, being obedient enough or wealthy enough to enter the kingdom. And maybe maybe some of us are doing the same. Are you trying to do the impossible? Expecting to enter the kingdom due to your obedience or your good deeds or your concern over global crises or your kind heart. What are you trying to do to inherit the kingdom? Well, what does it take to enter the kingdom of God? It takes God to get you in. It takes following Jesus because he will do what is needed for you to inherit eternal life. Jesus achieves the impossible through his death and resurrection so that we, fallen sinful people, can inherit God's kingdom But God must do it through his son Jesus, through his work of salvation. We just need the posture of helpless dependence on him. And so the good news is, we can enter the kingdom. You can inherit eternal life. Only if we follow Jesus and we are helplessly dependent on him trusting in his work to gain us entry into the kingdom. That's why at All Saints we want to see all kinds of people encounter Jesus. Because unless we're dependent on him, we won't enter the kingdom. So do I have to sell all my possessions like this man? Is that what Jesus is calling me to do? Well, you'll be pleased to know that the instructions only given to this man. It's not part of the rest of the teaching to the people of God in the Bible. And um, and so that might be a relief. Oh, good, I get to keep all my things. Uh, but maybe the call, the call is to follow Jesus. And who knows what God might call you to give up as a member of his kingdom. One commentator says, Jesus always demands that those who come to him put away their gods whether it be their possessions, position, power, a person, or a passion. Anything that we rely on for salvation, for our worth, needs to be put aside if it hinders us following Jesus. Or we can, or, the, or what we have been given, we can put to use for the kingdom. 
as we live for the kingdom, there will be times where we give things up for the sake of Jesus or for the spread of the gospel or so we can be obedient to his teaching. And so are you willing and open to give up things, to give away things, to put aside things for Jesus? The disciples have done this. And one of them said, we've left everything to follow you. Well, let me close with this promise from Jesus. Verse uh, verse 29. I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers and sisters or mother and father, reminds me of our mission partners in Dubai, they've left family for Jesus, or children or fields, fields were the main source of income back then, uh, No one who has left all these things for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Following Jesus means you will receive more than you give up. Firstly, in this present life. What you leave behind in this world, you will gain more. Jesus says, in this life. It's not a prosperity gospel. You give give this much and God will bless you tenfold. But God will provide more and more. And this is probably the hardest part of the promise for me to believe in. I get the persecutions bit. But because sometimes the cost of following Jesus seems so high. But in various ways, and particularly among in this fellowship of believers, in this room, there are many more brothers and sisters than any of us have biologically. Jesus blesses us with more than we have given up. But of course, there's promise for the age to come, eternal life. So even if we did give up everything, we gain eternal life, we will gain so much more and for so much longer. That is our hope as we put our trust in Jesus. So come to Jesus with childlike, dependent faith. Follow him, for he has done the impossible and saved us. And be willing to give up anything in this world for him and for the gospel. And he will provide for you and grant you entry into the kingdom of God. Amen.